0: Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supplied, episode 347. We're in the month of Adar, M'shanichnas Adar Marben Besimcha, a joyous month, which leads right into Mismach Gula Gula into the month of redemption of Nissen and Pesach. So we'll begin with that. The pro- this program is dedicated by Kobe and Malki Lang in loving memory of Avram Michal, Ben Yaakov Shmuel Halevi Flint. Misma Gula is an expression in the Gemara when it talks about when a Shonu which is not this year, but a year that is a leap year, and you add an additional other, an additional month, so there's a first other and a second other, so the question is, when do we celebrate Purim? In general, you would do everything in the first other, because the second other is the so-called additional... Additional month. But Kamar concludes, Mismach Gula, the Gula, they want to connect one redemption to the next, one month consecutive to the next. So therefore, Purim is celebrated in the second Adr, as that's closer to Nisan, which is the month of Nisan, the month when the Gula Mitzrayim, Gulas Mitzrayim, Mitzies Mitzrayim. In a year, in regular years, it's naturally that way. So What is the message of that? The message is, above all, that redemption is the foundation of really recognizing the truth and reality. When you say something is redeemed, what is the opposite of redeemed? When something is concealed or held hostage or imprisoned or displaced or dislocated, which is essentially what Golis is. It's a form of dislocation, displacement, both in the physical sense, Due to our sins, we were exiled and displaced from our land. But even when you're in the land, you're still in a state of Golas today, so there's a spiritual Golas. Redemption is freeing ourselves from that state. So psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, applying Chassidus to the concept of gula, it's about being in a state of gula, which is, if we're not an accident... There are no accidents, but it's not, not a coincidence that Odr, which is the first month of Geula in this context, is a month of Simcha, joy. What is joy? Joy is recognizing that there are, there's a deeper truth in your life. So no matter what is going on, even if you're in Golas, recognizing the Geula, the concept of Geula, and living by it is essentially a joyous experience. It's going out of limitations. Simcha perdits gedr. Simcha breaks all boundaries, pierces all boundaries, transcends. Gaula is a form of transcendence. Gaulus is a form of being trapped in the place that you are in. That's why we have the concept also of Gaula protis. Even when we're in a state where there's a collective gaula, a Mashiach has not come yet, there's still psychologically you can be in a state that is very overwhelmed and feel oppressed by circumstances, by events, or you can feel this is where God wants me to be right now and I'm living up to my destiny, to my calling. And that is what brings joy and brings gu'ula in your heart and soul. And obviously, when we do that, and we continue to maintain such an attitude, that exactly is what brings the gu'ula klolis, which is the macrocosmic redemption for all of us. So that's an opening statement about the period we're in going from Adar to Nisan. Now, this week, we're at the end end of uh, Adar, the next Shabbos will be Erish er Rish Nissen. Next Sunday is Rish Nissan. So, this Shabbos, which is also the Shabbos by Yaakov Kude, the, the last two chapters in the book of Exodus, which is what? The book of redemption. Seferagul, the Ramban calls it, Nachmanides. So, even though it begins with Golos, the first two and a half chapters is about a very bitter, the Golos, the, the displacement and the oppression that the Jewish people suffered in Mitzrayim, which is the root of all Goliaths, the Gemara says, the Medr says. The root of all displacement, because Mitzrayim, what is Mitzrayim? Limits and constraints. So when you're trapped there, that's the ultimate concept of displacement, or you can call it inhibition, dissonance. All the words you'd like to use, anything that relates to an experience that is not total seamless unity, feeling totally connected, feeling redeemed and one with the source, where you, who you are, is aligned with what you do, and that the purpose of your existence, for which you were sent to, drives your entire life. And all of that is a form of mitzvahim. In a more personal form, it can be fear, it can be insecurity, inhibition, as I mentioned, any form of dissonance. But yet, it's the beginning of a story. The narrative does not conclude there. In Parsha Boim, middle we hear beets mayim hazen, God tells Moshe and them, the 15th of Nisan, in that year, 2448, the Yidn left Mitzrayim. And therefore the whole Sefer is called Sefer HaGu'ula, Redemption. And we're now concluding that Sefer G'ula with Vayaka HaKudet, which is the conclusion of the building of the, Mish- the Mishkin, the sanctuary, which is bringing the divine down to earth, which is, of course, a form of G'ulah. So in the last days of Adar, going to... So we'll talk about Vayakob HaKudai. We'll talk about... We just spoke about Nissan, Erevish Chedesh Nissen. But there are also two days this week, which are, what shall I say, challenging days. The Chof Hei Adar. Chof hei Adar is the birthday. This year, the 120th birthday of the Rebbe Chaim Mushka, in the year Tav Shemem she passed away, Chav Shvat. She was born in the year Taf Samach Aleph, a year before the Rebbe. So this year is 120 Samach Aleph, the Taf Pei Aleph. So why did I say it's a challenge? It's a challenge because of the Histalkus of the Rebbe. But the birthday, obviously, is a positive, a major positive. And even the Histalkus, as we learn of Sadiqim and Sidkunyas, ultimately that brings an Aliyah it's a special day. But there's another day which is more challenging. Two days later is Chav Zayin Odr. Chav Zayin Adar, in the year Tav Shinnun Beis, 29 years ago, the Rebbe suffered a stroke, which would leave him speechless and not able to use parts of his body. Another form of gollus, as the Rebbe explains in the Sikh of Gimel Shvat, Shabbos Pasha boy and then Gimel Shvat, in the year, that year, right, a few, so six weeks before the stroke, citing the Zoya, that by Moshe, his speech wasn't golos, which means concealed. Moshe was Kfad peh, Loshen. Iloy different expressions, he was not a man of words. And the Rebbe explains in that sikh, what that means, he was above and higher than words, but in the physical sense, it definitely was a certain form of golos, because as long as it didn't in golos, the Jews are Angolus, and the world is Angolus, a tzaddik, a Rebbe, there's also, there's a concealment. When there's a concealment on a lakus, on the divine, there's a concealment on the Rebbe. So we suffered this, the 27th of Adr, th- 29 years ago, and until today, the Rebbe has not spoken to us. Two years and some months later, came Gimel Tammuz. So it's a challenging day in that sense. We don't forget it, because every... Experience, positive or negative, has deeper meaning and lessons to us. So we see from all of this the connection to Guula and Golos. So let's begin with Hafei Adr in this context, because literally comes earlier in the week. So what do we have in two days, actually? 25th of Adr is the birthday of the Rebbe Sachayimushk. It's also the birthday of the world, according to one of the opinions. One opinion is Hafei El Nivra Elam which means that six days later, is Rosh Hashanah is the first of Tishrei, another opinion of Chafei Adar 25th of Adar, and six days later is Rosh Hashanah. And it's already brought, Tesfus and Kisfei that that explains that it's not a contradiction. One is the primius one is chetsenius elements. One is Machshava, God created the world in thought, and one is in action. Nisan is more beprimius, and Tishrei is, is b'chetsenius in, in action. So each has their particular role as a beginning. Like we see, The first of the months is Nishanah Tishrei. So we're talking about Hanhogat TV's the governance of the natural order, the Rosh Hashanah of the natural order, the new year of the natural order is Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei. If you're talking about the, the, the new year of the supernatural order, then you're talking about Nishanah. And both are necessary. When God created the world, it says, and He gave them, He created the world, and that is the Rosh Hashanah, the Tishrei, that we honor and celebrate in Rosh Hashanah. But then He gave them Chedesh HaGu'ula, the month of redemption, says the Medish. And that is a month of transcendence. And that is this Chedesh Nisan. Six days earlier is the 25th of Adr. as a microcosm, of the Deir Ashvi, the of the Rebbe, as one, Malko Malkusa, Malka Matranissa, the king and the queen, as one of the seventh generation, seventh generation from the Alta Rebbe, the generation that will usher in the Geula, is the birthday of the Rebetzinah, reflecting the birthday of the world. And indeed, in that year, 1988, one of the things the Rebbe initiated, even though the Rebbe had already encouraged it beforehand, but made it formal and official, to celebrate birthdays. What is a birthday? So Rabbi said, a birthday is the beginning of your existence. Essentially, your being, your very purpose for which you are here in this world. So every year, the birthday is a form of your Yerga'ula because it's the clear mission statement that's defined why you're here. On the birthday, we are meant to realign ourselves. Whatever dissonance, whatever gulus, on any personal level, psychological, emotional, spiritual, that we go through birthdays of time to realign, say this is the day my contract was is being renewed, the annual renewal of your mission and purpose in life. And the Rebbe linked it with the Rebbe's birthday, which of course linked to the birthday of the universe. Chaivadam Laymra, a person's responsible to say Nivra Elam. The world was created for me. So the world is in a sense we're responsible for it. So the birthday of the world corresponds to the birthday of the Rebetzin and the birthday of each one of us as what are you doing to help elevate, refine and transform this world into a du'guladik, a redemptive world. So it all comes together in that context. And the lesson is very clear. The lesson is about our responsibility in doing whatever we can to put the Aleph, the Aleph of Aluf and the Aleph of Hashem Echad, Alakim of God, godliness, into geula. Geula without an aleph is displacement. You don't need to remove it. You need to just reveal the inner purpose of it all. That's the aleph, the unity. And that turns that same very word into geula. So geula cannot exist without geula. Which means that the displacement and everything that it comes with, like just like Golas Mitzrayim, is not the end of the story. The building blocks are there. What's lacking is that final revelation, that final dimension that we need to introduce. So we introduce that on our birthdays, but the truth is it's our work all year round. And that's the lesson we take from Hafei Adr. Then comes two days later, Chavzayin Adr, 29 years ago. Chavzayin Adr, as I said, was a day where it reflected the goal of the Rebbe's dibur. The language of the Zoyar. Explains the Rebbe, what is the meaning of it? Obviously, it's a painful day in that sense. I remember it very vividly, that dark Monday evening. It affected us all, but it personally affected me in many ways because my whole life was orbited around the Rebbe's Fabrengas, the Rebbe's speaking. And that seized, and as I said, two months, two years, and a few months later was... Shemesh be given Deim, Shemesh, Pnei Mesheke, Pnei Chama, the son, was silenced. Temporarily. But nevertheless, silenced. So the Rebbe explains in that sicher, which I had the merit to prepare, the Rebbe edited it, that he said six weeks before the stroke, very uncanny, very strange and bizarre at the time, he elaborated about a stroke, by the Friedrich Rebbe when he had the stroke, and Moshe Bainu was not due to a stroke, but also his diber was compromised. Why would that be the case when the Rebbe Zinye, Moshe Rabenu Zinye, is is speaking, and the Rebbe explains based on Achsides that Moshe Rabenu came from a world that was higher than speech, Achshave, Almediskasia, the hidden worlds. Minamayim was drawn. His name indicates his muhus, his personality, his soul, from water. Water is the hidden worlds. Land is the revealed worlds. Land is the Elamah Dibur. Water is the Elamah Makhshava. So, it was because of his deeper level, the challenge was you want to have the Makhshava come into Dibur. That's why it's a Golos. But not in any way, God forbid, that Moshe was compromised fundamentally in his expression. Yes, that's why it was a Golos. Our job is to bridge that gap, says the Rebbe. Just like Moshe had Aaron, who was his translator. We too, everyone who heard the Rebbe speak, has to be the mouthpiece, the arms and legs, but the mouthpiece of repeating what the Rebbe says. This is the driving force of everything I do today, including my life because it is supplied. I don't always mention it, but I'm mentioning it now. So Chavzayin Nadra on one hand, yes, seems to be a very dark day, but it's a day that evokes within us the need to be that mouthpiece, to be the, the, the clarion call to be the amplifier, the microphone, whatever you like to call it, that channels the Rebbe's words to the world around us in the best way we can until the day comes when the to sees fit that the Rebbe himself could be the one that's doing the speaking in ways that we can hear it physically in this world. So that's a lesson to each one of us. Every one of us, every person who's learned one word of Teir from the Rebbe, is responsible to share that with someone else. And today with technology, look, I'm sitting here to reach countless amount of people through speech. What I try to do is convey and maintain, preserve the integrity of the Rebbe's words and spirit of the words in addressing issues that we are all struggling with, we all deal with. Each of us has this responsibility. That's the chavzayin, not the message. That's how we bring Gola. Gaulah into dibur, the dibur bergalas, the speech is somewhat concealed, or impeded in, in, in some fashion, and we reveal it by being that mouthpiece, by being that channel of conveying the Rebbe's words, ideas, spirit, feelings, sentiments, directives, and teachings to every person we can reach. So. So someone asked the question, what was the last teaching of the Rebbe before the stroke? Which would also mean the last teaching before, the, before Gimel Tammuz. Well, it was Pasha Vayakil this week. That year was Ashanu a with, with two others. And uh, therefore Vayakal and Pekudeh were separated, not like this year. And the Rebbe spoke about Vayakil. Usually the sikhah would have been prepared for editing, but because of the stroke, it didn't end up happening. But the Rebbe did edit a summary of the Ferengin, a few words. Vayakal the Rebbe said, Vayakal P'kudei. When they're together, they, they uh, indicate one lesson. When they're separate, there's another lesson. So what is the lesson, Vayakal P'kudei? Vayakal means to gather together. Moesha is gathering unity. P'kudei is counting. Counting means every individual. So in general, the lesson is, which we'll talk about in a moment, is bridging the collective and the individual. That one should not compromise the other. That the is the, the, the collective, the kohal, is made up of individuals. And you cannot eliminate the individuals or else the call is compromised. And the other way around, an individual requires also others, the synergy that comes from others. In the words of Ill, if I'm only if I will be, if no, if I'm not from myself, who will be for me? Individuality. Imanila And if I am for myself, what am I? Being alone is also not complete. You need to call. But when it's a year, when Vayakl is separate from Bakuday, then the focus is primarily on the aghdus And then I went on to speak about aghdus That was his last message. The Goli in the words of the Fasichah of Vayakel, Tovshinun Beis. Some of the said, the Rebbe cites it, that what will lead into the Gula, what will lead Chassidim to the Gula will be their Achdus. The Achdus of Chassidim v'tusfirin. Perhaps, or maybe more than a perhaps, the Rebbe was saying Vayakel, be united. The Rebbe recognized and understood there'd be challenges. And we see the challenges. I don't need to elaborate. Everybody knows... Our our goal, our mission is is Vayakel, is to find ways to join together, not to compromise anyone, to complement synergy that comes from more than the sum of the parts. That's the lesson. Okay, one more, so we talk about vayakal Pekudei, it's also Pasha's HaChidosh, which I didn't mention explicitly, but I mentioned HaChidosh Hazel which also is Ge'ula. The month of Ge'ula begins with a new moon after the moon disappears, which indicates Osan Angolus, because Miya Talavona, the diminishment of the moon, is part of the process of concealment, but only She'im Siddin and Kamesa, that the Jewish people are compared to the moon because they will be renewed, just as the moon is renewed every Rishchei which will be next Sunday. So we read the Shabbos before Shabbos Mubarchim, Nissen, or Shabbos Hesh Kedosh, in other years. We read Parshas HaChedesh, which is, of course, the beginning of the Geula, HaChedesh HaZalachem. Chedesh also means renewal, Chedesh Chidush. The renewal of introducing the Aleph and transforming Golis into Geula. So there you have lesson upon lessons, lessons upon lessons from these, from this Kfirs, HaFe Adar, HaVzayin Adar, Vayakab HaKuday, HaChedesh, Erev, which leads into the new moon of Nisan, which will lead, of course, 15 days later, into Gulas Mitzrayim, which, Just as you showed us wonders then, you will show wonders, Mashiach coming. So the Gulas Mitzrayim is the beginning. Just as the root of all the displacements and the dissonance, it's also the root of all Geula. It will be the beginning of an open-the-channel, the Tzinod, the channel of ge'ulah and, and above all the ge'ulah, which is a permanent ge'ulah from all forms of Mitzrayim and limitations and constraints and boundaries. So yes, it's special times and it's one of the ways that we, when we learn and we understand the time in which we're living, the energy of our time, it helps us beyond getting beyond the monotony and the quotidian of daily pedestrian life also gives us strength, gives us tools, gives us skills to deal with any challenge. Everybody has their challenges. These are not just droshes we're saying here, not just ideas. The Rebbe always say these are lessons, personal lessons. And it's, in this care. it's giving us strength, it's empowering us to achieve whatever it is that we need to achieve. So if you can take this to heart and apply it and say, what does it mean for me? That is the ultimate goal and it can achieve tremendous new openings, new possibilities, breakthroughs, and especially in your attitude, because we know when our attitude is strong, it always opens up new doors and new channels and new possibilities. Okay. So, let's go to some questions here. Since, unfortunately, we're still in this age of COVID, as some call it. It's a year now, since Purim, approximately. You know, no one knows exactly the date when they announced it as a pandemic. It was around a year ago, a week. I don't know if you recall, but I remember that Purim. For some reason, I was learning the Maimer. It was tafshin Pei. So I was learning the Maimer from Tafresh Pei. The last Maimer of the Rebbe Rashab, the first Maimer of the physical Rebbe, going on Molik was so a 100 years of centennial, and the mime struck me because it was talking literally about keset of klippe, amolek. COVID, corona, what was called coronavirus. Corona is from the word crown because of the spikes that the virus looks like under a microscope. It's a spiked type of bacteria or a, a, a viral, whatever the, you call it. And that's why they call it corona, Coronavirus. And the tikkun is kesed Digdusha, which is a chutzpah de gdusha, to go beyond the rational, to challenge the, super, the, the irrationality of the clip of the negative that we go by correcting it by going the other extreme. In other words, a pandemic in a negative sense is fought by a pandemic of goodness and kindness in a positive sense, Keset. So it struck me literally the moment of 100 years from when this pandemic began. So we're now a year later, and it's still with us. We all know, we'd all rather not have it. It's caused pain, it's caused suffering, it's caused death and loss. Besides aggravation and the whole disruptions. But this is what the Ibishta wants us to be in right now. We may not understand it, but we have to do the best, and we can dig deeper and find greater strengths, which is what we've seen people do. This is how Jews learn from... Experiences that are setbacks or concealments. It's also a form of a golos. And we teach it to everyone around us, including the non-Jewish world. This is how the Jews not just survived, they thrived. Lesson from Pesach. As they were oppressed, direct proportion to that, they thrived and they flourished. That's the challenge, and that's what meant to bring out the challenge. So there have been questions upon questions obviously being chassidus applied, I addressed it especially last year for months and months. As a matter of fact, that was the primary t- themes and a lot of questions that had come in before or even then, I kept focused on that because that was, what was in everybody's minds and that also impacted every part of our lives, marriage, children, education, work, what does God want from us, death, pain. So it itself has a whole spectrum. It wasn't just a one item, it affected every aspect of our lives. But questions keep coming in, because I addressed it in so many different angles, not just in this program, as so many other programs that have grown out of this period, which is also what we're taught. Something negative, you have to add an increase in light, increase in classes, increase in programs, which is what I've been doing and others have been doing. And I can tell you, I mean, I've never been as busy as this on over, overdrive, but I've also seen payness from it, the effect, and I see the need. So thank God we're doing our best. I can't say we're doing our best. We're doing better than, 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 doing, than just coasting along. So the, the questions have come in, so I want to address a few of them. But since I, before I get into that, before, since I did speak about, mention some of the programs, maybe it's Kadai, maybe it's worthwhile, just a little housekeeping here. This program, if you've never been with us before, is now, as I said, episode 347. Began eight years ago. Eight years ago, every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m., it can all be found, all the archives, at chasidahsupplied.com, a special website created in the name of this program, My Life, Chasidah Applied. There you also have a forum, completely anonymous, where you can ask any question, nothing is taboo. There is a backup, I've been going, trying to cover, but there's many, many questions that have come in. So please use that. There's also other resources including the essays and the creative contests that we've done. So there are thousands of submissions from individuals from all walks of life applying Chassidus to contemporary challenges and issues and so on. I want to also add that I started a new program just four weeks ago every Maitreyi Shabbos every Saturday night called My Life, Tanya Applied. A half hour program from 10 to 10.30 Eastern Time. It could always be found at chassidusapplied.com there you can find all the previous programs and the coming ones it's on radio it's on podcast on many different platforms so so that's the some announcements obviously this program is a free program a lot of resources go into it research and so on so we depend on your contributions to support and help us it's a good time to announce it as we come from purim and go to pesach dedicating a program is a great honor for a loved one close one for a birthday for a so just go to MeaningfulLife.com slash donate or the Supply. There's a donate button there and you can donate any, any amount you like and, uh, or consider dedicating a program or several programs. So with that said, I did get a few notes that people have written, some thank you notes and so on. So from time to time, it's always good to read uh, some reactions. Let me do that for a moment and then we'll go to the COVID discussion. Okay. We'll talk about Tanya Applied, Rabbi Jacob, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I just heard the news of your new Tanya class on the radio. Can you please give the class without using any Hebrew words whatsoever? Please make it completely accessible to absolutely everybody. If anyone can do it, it's you. God bless you, Rabbi Jacobson. Well, thank you for that, um, the, that encouragement. The difficulty is, to be honest, is learning Tanya it's well, definitely well worth having a class where no Hebrew is used, so there's no prohibitive language, either for those that don't understand the language or are turned off by it or just doesn't speak to them. But however, this program is, I use the text, but I do explain it, I believe, for any person to listen to. I don't know if I can do this program in that way, to be very honest. Considering doing another program, you know, we we'll have to prioritize. But I do appreciate, and I will not forget your suggestion, I'll keep it in mind, and think of ways, perhaps, to fulfill that, and I understand the need and purpose of it, but thank you. Uh, Thank you, there's a few thank you notes, if I may. Your Sunday night online video broadcast is fantastic. Thank you for all the time you put into it. May Hashem bless you with tremendous success. And may many donors come forward and become sponsors, hopefully myself included, when I'm able to financially contribute. So thank you for your thank you. Much appreciated. Another thank you, Rabbi Jacobson has been addressing very significant issues over the last weeks and months in his podcast. So thank him for that. I really appreciate his podcast. It makes Chassidus as a lifestyle or even just as a much more accessible to people who didn't grow up with it and whose rabbi only has so much time in a day. Okay. And then there was about, since I've been speaking about abuse with children and families and homes, so I received a few notes on that. So let me address that, and then we'll go into the other topics. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, since you invited input regarding resources for the young woman who was struggling because of childhood abuse, that was something I addressed a while back, um, and over over the months in general, I wanted to share resources and my patients. Uh, I want to share resources that I and my patients have found helpful. So let me just read this. This is, a, this is for the public, benefit for the public. So if any one of you is dealing with this or know someone dealing, are some resources. Number one, adultchildren.org. Adult children of alcoholics and family dysfunction and alcoholic parents is not a requirement to participate in this 12-step program. A 12-step program with meetings now available through Zoom. A suggested donation of one or two dollars is the only financial cost. It's recommended people try six, six different meetings to find one they find useful. Two. A book called CPTSD, From Surviving to Thriving, is designed for lay readers. I actually conduct reading sessions with a patient who has CPTSD. We spend the hour over Zoom taking turns reading two paragraphs each with time for the patient to share what the reading evokes. Three. QEEG brain assessment and neurofeedback are tools we we have found helpful in first assessing how the individual's brain is functioning and then treating abnormalities using neurofeedback. Often early trauma creates high levels of anxiety in the brain that persist over a lifetime. I so appreciate your teachings. I was fortunate to learn from you, your wonderful family, and the the last in-person JLI in D.C. All the best. Okay, so that which is relevant for those, I like to use this platform to help people in every given way. Obviously Chassidus has answers, but there are times you definitely need the intervention of professionals, medical professionals of different forms, so here are some resources. Another letter I received about abuse, so let me read that. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, in last week's ep- well, in a while back's episode, you read out a letter written to you by a girl that grew up in a dysfunctional home and is, at, and is at loss what to do. You mentioned that anyone with similar experiences should reach out to you, so here I am. I also grew up in a very dysfunctional home, suffering tremendously as a kid, and still do from my childhood traumatic experiences, but I'm way better than I used to be. I'm actually currently studying to become a therapist, and my advice to you is as follows. Number one, every issue can be fixed despite how much pain you're currently suffering. Number two, don't let anyone dismiss your feelings you're currently having about your life. Don't let them tell you to just get over it. You have to deal with your feelings the right way by going to to, to an understanding therapist. You mentioned you currently go to a therapist. My question to you is, do you see that your life has become significantly easier to manage after seeing your therapist? If not, I advise you to switch to someone that specializes in childhood trauma. You can call relief, quote-unquote relief, which would help refer someone to you. I guess that's a helpline relief. Number three, main thing is to realize that your life can get back to normal if you put the effort into finding the right help. Don't ever give up, never. My life is so much better now than it used to be because I sought help. Four, regarding marriage, you would want to make sure you're completely healthy enough to start dating. Getting a green light to start from your therapist is very important, because even though marriage would help for some issues, such as loneliness, as Rabbi Jacobson mentioned, some issues might come back to the surface once married and affect your shalom bias. To sum it up, don't give up and put effort, and put effort in, into finding a good therapist, a mashpia, which understands these things. Haslacha Raba, I'm rooting for you to see how you can succeed. Okay, so thank you for that. And I always underscore and emphasize, yes, mashpia, someone that's a mature, emotional, intelligent person you can trust, that knows chassidus, that can apply chassidus, is vital. A person like that could also help determine when other intervention is, may be needed, as I've discussed many, many times. Okay, so taking that, which is also now talked about another form of gollus, the whole goal here, of course, is magdim refur maka, the healing should precede the the ailment, the illness, the problem. So that's what we try to do here, see this applied. So after reading that, let me go back to COVID issues. (laughs) Shlichus in the age of COVID. How are we to understand? How are we to fulfill our role as shluchim in the age of COVID limitations? I'm writing this as a shlucha and this being the second Pesach, that we won't be able to have a public seder and host guests in our home throughout Pesach, as we could not the other Yom Tevim of this past year. We know there's a reason for everything, even if we don't see and uh, understand it, see slash understand it now. But how are we supposed to understand what Hashem wants, that so many Jews are not going to have a seder for a second year? And for those that used to come to the public seders or to private ones, they were invited to, and those who will attempt to make a seder at home, many of these seder will not be in a dika atmosphere and kahalocha. I guess we can parallel to the years of war that Jews couldn't celebrate Yom Tevin. But today we are lacking almost nothing, but yet can't provide this basic chabad, the basic chabad house services and family, like gatherings, like family like gatherings, and everyone cher- that everyone cherishes so much it'll also be a long time until people start coming to our events even after we're allowed to gather. And I feel that they will also think that, just like they managed without coming to Shul and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur last year, when they weren't allowed to come, and they weren't struck down by lightning, though they didn't come to Shul, so they don't have to come in the future when they will be allowed to come. How do we understand all of this? How are we to understand all of this? Okay, well, you said it right, but I will emphasize even further. Mashem Sadi gover Kan who, God leads the footsteps of a human being. The events that have happened are not in our control. If it was in our control, so we have to do everything possible, obviously, to eliminate any obstacles. But there are things that are not in our control. The Tata teaches us. That doesn't mean that you can't do anything. It just means you have to know that you can't control the event, but you can control your attitude. Clearly, the Ebershta wants the shlichas to continue in being creative and finding other outlets and other ways. Obviously, we would all like it to just continue as it was. was, We had already our structures and our plans and our way of doing Pesach, yes, and helping people. But shlichas never ends. It's just a matter of what way you do it. And absolutely correct, we adjust to the circumstances. We navigate so the first thing is we have to knock out any negativity that's a result of the surprises or things, disruptions that have been not planned for. Once you get rid of that, then you have to say, what would the devil want me to do now? And you have to find ways. We can't begin to discuss, we can't start figuring out what God intended, what about that person that would not be able to be at a public seder? So maybe reach out to them and speak to them beforehand. Maybe provide them some resources. Is it as good as it was? We're not here to compare. This is our circumstance. On the contrary, we'll always remember that we did the shlichus and we found new ways to do it. They may not be as good, but they may be better also. When I say not as good, I mean to say not in the regular form. I've seen personally, and I've seen shluchim, I've seen rabbis, I've seen people who are community leaders, have risen to the occasion and ever adjusted and found ways to do it. Now yes, many are concerned that people are not going to feel that it's optional and therefore may not return. Well, the answer to that is make a connection with them that's deeper than you ever made before. If their entire connection is based on coming to shul, or coming to the kiddush, or coming to a Friday night dinner, the food, the social part, maybe the connection has to be deeper. We start learning with people. One-on-one, the phone, or whatever circumstances allow. Create connections to their heart and soul. Those connections cannot be compromised and cannot be limited by COVID. I discussed much of this in previous episodes, back, especially less than a year ago, over the months. But it's important to reiterate because yes, a year has passed. Everyone thought it would be a few months. Now we see it's lingering. It's longer than a year. It's a big time, long time. But we must dig deeper. I can tell you from my work, though it's talking not, most of it is online, but I speak to many people by phone and Zoom and other ways, it's only deepened connections and relationships. And you can do it as well. You have to dig deeper, you, your spouse, your family, and find ways to connect. Yes, it's nice to send food packages and stuff for Shabbos, for Yom Tov. Every connection is good. Help people find ways to celebrate in their own home or in other ways that work, that are allowed. But above all, it's your spiritual connection with them. That's the real part of the shlichus. And that, now is the time to create that connection. And learning is the best way. Let's learn something together. What's what's on your mind? Is it different than what you did before? Will it be more time-consuming? Perhaps, but that's the shlichus. I can go on, and maybe it would be good to have a forum, I'm sure there is, that shluchim and others have, people who are in the community service, social service, of things we can do that, that specifically in these circumstances, in these times. Now, things of course have changed, but there's still that lingering, that tentativeness we all know. So we have to use it as much as we can in ways that even surpass what we've done in the past. Okay. Another person writes in this same regard. Bring the joy. um, Let me go back here to this. How can we bring the joy of Shabbos back into our homes during these times of lockdown? Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. First of all, I would like to thank you for the ongoing podcast. You have given me a lot of a lot of clarity and on my on and on my issues. Since the start of COVID, Shabbos has become very stressful. We are a Nash living in a Chabad house community. Pre-COVID, we would have guests Friday night, and would entertain that that would entertain my kids and my spouse would socialize. We would often invite young families with kids, giving many non from families a taste of Shabbos. My spouse enjoyed cooking, preparing for the last, for the Shabbos then. Some weeks we had no guests and those Friday night meals were full of kids with full, of, or, or full of, and those Friday night meals turned into kids, full of kids crying and fighting. Shabbos day, I would take my two older children and then then five and four years old, where they would join the kid program, and then we'd come home at 2 p.m. After shul, the kids would often play have play dates that, last, that lasted for many hours. My wife would have a learn shop afternoon with ladies in the community, which she enjoyed. Then Purim came last year, everything changed. Shul was closed, no guests, no play dates. Shul was open from June, just for over 11 years old and up. Shul was closed again in November, and been closed since. My wife says Shabbos is the worst day because the kids fight. My four-year-old makes, all over, makes trouble all over the house because of the negative attention he gets. My kids destroy the house over Shabbos. Friday night, there's always some crying, even before we start Shalom Aleichem. We try to have the kids say the Pasha give over what they learned in school. Something has to always go wrong. Shabbos day, I play all sorts of indoor games with my kids. Take them in them to the park. Weather permitting, we work on Kira with the older two kids, but it's very challenging to entertain four kids, kids from 7 a.m. in the morning, and then they wake up till after Shabbos. Where we live, it is not legal to go to a friend's house. How can I bring joy of Shabbos back to my family? Many thanks. And I'll include another question in this. Simcha peredez Can you please elaborate on the concept simcha peredez together, which means simcha transcends boundaries or breaks through boundaries. Specifically, how can one force myself to be besimcha when, during the, current state of, during, the, when the, during the current state of the pandemic we are struggling to pay our bills, do, and have very little social contact? Another person writes, when, what does it mean simcha together? Can simply consuming meat and wine inspire joy? Should a surgeon and patient consume meat and wine before a completed complicated operation to assure success by using the joy to break through the barriers? Okay. So, though they're not exactly the same question, let me just say this. We're in the month of Adar, and we're told, in general, serve God with joy, especially to increase in joy. And that, that joy should increase. That tells us that we have the power and the strength to find joy in all circumstances. Even the, the description of the person writing about their home, and I've heard it from many others, does not mean something has to change. If you continue maintaining previous attitudes, you'll have the same results. You must dig deeper. As a father and a mother of a family that's going through these challenges, to just say, what can I do, is not enough. You have to find deeper resources and find people that can help you when, if necessary. And let's begin. Hashem has given you all the tools you need. Joy comes from within, not, only, not from circumstances. Joy comes from within when you realize that Hashem put you here, you're a mission in life, gave you health and blessings, and now how are you going to use it? So of course it would have been easier without all these latest challenges. So you must come up with new ways. I say you mentioned different projects you tried to do with uh, going to parks and so on. I would make a concerted effort, no different than you would do it at your your job, to really have a deliberate plan for each child, make a whole plan, in addition to whatever happens at school, and that child, incentivize the child, do it together with them, a project, with a deadline, with a goal, something they would enjoy, and make sure they're rewarded for it. Each child separately. And then maybe some things as a family unit. This is just one of many ideas. The last thing you want to become is sound like a victim or be like a victim. So I don't know all the circumstances, and I don't know who are your mashpim, who you speak to, but I would sure reach out to friends and to others and come up with ideas, real ideas, but don't take it lightly. Not just, okay, what am I going to do now the next five minutes to keep my child busy? Of course that's not going to be sustainable. So you have to find ways and projects. That is what I would advise, and come up with other ideas as well. I don't know if online there are such resources. I've seen articles over the past year, parents coming up with many different ideas what can be done. I don't recall if they were only Jewish ones, but in general, ideas can be found in many places, especially talking to others. The next thing I would do is call other parents who are parents of children that are friends of your children and put your heads together. Think about it. And I have no doubt that something will come of it. To get back to Simcha Peretz Gedder, joy. Joy is a, a, a tool, a resource. If we're told we can be joyous, it doesn't matter what, what things are sad around you. It means that you have the ability to, to ex- ex- exude and elicit joy from your, in your heart and soul. Because a neshama by nature is a joyous entity. It's connected to its, to God And it's a divine entity and divinity is all about simcha and gilu'i and positivity. It's only the nefesh abamis and the material world, the animal soul, that brings us down. So this is part of the battle spoken about in Tanya and of course in all of Chassidus. How do we empower the divine within us to make sure it dominates? Because that's where the joy will come from. Now, if matev, even better, if you can engage, the animal soul should also enjoy so this again, is as I said before with the family, with yourself. It's, it's work. It's Aved. Ivdu Hashem B'Simcha means serve God with joy. It's also the tithe. That joy comes with ivdu. You have to work on it. Not everything comes easily. Of course there are times when God blesses us, things are going well. You marry and go for a child. It's a natural joy. But there are times you have to work on it. And when there are difficulties or setbacks or disruptions like we're going through, then you have to dig deeper. But you can The Rebbe emphasizes in many letters that joy comes when you work with others, when you help others, and you see how you're helping them. Sitting and focusing that I'm not happy, I'm not joyous, things are not going well, will never lead to joy. So joy is about serving, about helping, about transcending your own situation. That's why I is When you transcend, shimcha transcends everything around you. You're able to get beyond the boundaries, the conventional boundaries, and And conventions that usually limit us. Which of course brings us back to Gula. That's why Simcha is connected to Gula, Because it's about transcending limitations. Transcending the Mitzrayim of our lives. Okay. More on this is in episodes on Simcha, Peretis, Gather and Joy in general, episodes 5, 40, Episode 58, 109, 134, 229, 297 and 298, 301 and 343. As I said earlier, you can find them all at chassidahsupply.com. So in that context, someone asks, is it possible that God has not yet sent Mashiach because he's deriving too much pleasure from all that we are doing to fulfill his will? Thank you, Rabbi, for your generosity of time and effort, inspiring, enlightening and uplifting us. We are told that God takes immense pleasure in every mitzvah we do, in every act of Aves Yisrael, in every act of zaka in every act of chesed, etc. At this point in history, in our generation, especially during these disruptive and difficult days, is it possible that he has not yet sent Mashiach because he's deriving too much pleasure from what we are doing to fulfill his will? Thank you and zay gezunt. An interesting question. But first of all, let's make this very clear, as the Rebbe says time and again. zashir the Rebbe said. God, thousands of years, our parents, our grandparents, our ancestors have suffered and paid prices. So to with to keep on saying more pleasure, there comes a point where the world has become refined enough and then erupts into a gaula. So how much? To say that God is delaying the process and allowing things to happen just because of the pleasure... Now we've come to a point where Kolo the Rebbe says all the deadlines have been met. Now is the time for Gula. So that's the Rebbe's words. Once the Rebbe says that, we can repeat it easily, and take and the Rabbi, stand on the Rebbe's shoulders, and that's our attitude. There's actually an interesting sicha I believe it's Devarim um, Tavshim Emches where the Rebbe speaks about this this idea. And says clearly that at the end of the day, the Ebrishter also wants the Gu'ullah, the gil-i-e. Though there is pleasure in the Mesir Nefesh doing Golos, and Yofesh maisim haza, haba, the one hour of chuvah of return and good deeds in this world is worth more than the entire world to come. And yet, the Ebrishter itself wants, and in some way, Yochel needs, that it should be finally revealed a lukus in this world. And that's our attitude. So though, yes, it's an interesting question, but we've already gone through that stage. God has gotten enough pleasure, and now we need the geula. And when the Rebbe would say, so why didn't you come yet? He'd say, takakasha. It's a question. He didn't say maybe because God wants more pleasure. And Shana Rabbah Memdal, the Rebbe did say, amongst many tears, that the only way to explain is perhaps God wants us to shreim it on emes to really cry and demand with the, in a very sincere way, and that's only possible if, if, we, if we don't have any hope at all, if we don't have, and we don't see any gu'ula, that's the only way you can explain that it continues to go on, because that way we'll shy with the nemes. That's what the Rebbe says there. But that, that too the Rebbe already has said, we've already cried, and law and everything that came with that. Okay. Where are we? Let's see here. I need to uh, apologize because there were a few questions actually about Vayakil, and I like to address them because it's this week. So I'm going to go back to the Pasha and talk about a few questions that were asked in the Pasha. But before that, there was one more. Why did Tanya not prevent the epidemic? We are taught that God gives the cure before the illness. In the introductory pages to the Tanya, it is written. Well, in the introductory pages, it's not written exactly what you're saying here. In the introductory pages, you have Rabbi Yehuda Hakayin, who gave one of the approbations, the to Tanya. He said that this book, Tanya, will be the incense, the cutedus, that prevents the magiefers that will happen during Hevli Mashiach. So... So the question is, therefore, since we have the tanya, why didn't it prevent the COVID pandemic? Well, again, questions like this are very difficult to answer. We don't know God's mysterious ways. And um, Tanyu in general was given also to prevent all kinds of things. So I'm not going to even begin to conjecture and assume an answer for this question. The tanya is here with us already seven generations, several hundred years. And there were my in between. So the answer is we don't know that answer. The answer is we don't know God's mysterious ways. It's I don't. There's an answer that people give, it could have been worse. <laughs> and the Tanya helped so-called preserve and make it less than it would have been. That may be an answer, but it's not a completely adequate answer. That's why I keep saying I don't have an answer. The only thing we do know is the following, as the Rebbe writes in a letter to someone, why I cannot answer but what we can do about it. Perhaps the lesson to us is that we need to do much more in learning Tanya and teaching Tanya and spreading this all over the world. There's no question that when they have may mevira fula elam, Tera brings healing to the world. And especially Tanya, as Rabbi Yehuda HaKeyn said, um, the Leib Kain said about that it's the preventive medicine to prevent my pandemics, epidemics, that when we do more of that, that will prevent and ultimately eliminate all illness. But meanwhile, clearly, it has not done it. So you have the two points here. One, we don't know the reasons. Number two, let's do whatever we can to continue the work of spreading Tanya, as in general. And maybe that may be the reason I began teaching Tanya. I didn't think of it that way. But um, hopefully, it will help achieve the intended goal. Okay. Going back to a few questions on Vayakil, um, because there's so many questions here, you get confused a little. In Pasha Vayakil, the Jews were commanded to donate items for the Mishkin, and it came to a point where they over-donated to so generously Moshe, Moshe, Moses had to ask them to stop. Right. They donated, and then Mesha told them that he has enough and they should stop. In the same way, may God Almighty bless everyone spending their Sunday night listening to this Torah class with such an abundance of material wealth from his open and outstretched hands of chesed that we have to symbolically say, please stop, we have enough. May we all enjoy God's blessings in the best of health with inspiration to use a portion of our money to support Torah organizations. Okay. I'm not sure, is this a hint that you want me to stop? Well, I'm I'm, I'm not gonna take the hint, but I appreciate the sentiment. It is true, we have many, many blessings, but when Moshe told us to stop, Moshe said that. But um, we have to continue doing everything we can to teach and to learn and to contribute and to do everything possible to build the 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 Mishkin within our lives, the Shekhani B'Seicham, and ultimately, the base the vashlema. But I appreciate your words. Who is Btzal and how did he know how to build things that even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know how to build? Well, Btzal was the architect, and there's the discussion. Moshe Rabbeinu was the fundraiser, actually. <laughs> he raised the money. Moshe was, of course, the man of God that brought the messenger that gave the directive in the first place that the Ebrister said to build a Mishkin. But the architect is the implementer. I've discussed this, I believe, in previous episodes. Famous discussion between and Moshe. Moshe tells him, when we look in Truma. It says, starts building the kelim, the aron, the menorah, mizbeach, shulchan, the mizbeach, and then he tells him about the yerias, the walls and the enclosure. Betzalel says to Moshe, says the Gemara, "That's not the way of the world. First you build the structure, then you build bring the furniture in, then you bring the contain- the, the vessels in." So Moshe said, you're right. Do it that way. But Ratzel so, God, has inspired you. So what was Moshe's consideration? So this explains, among many different explanations, that Moshe was the visionary. The vision of the Mishkin is not just the walls and the structure. It's the purpose of using it, having an, an urn, the holy ark, the Mizbeach, the Karbonis, as the Rambam and the Ramban have a disagreement. What's the main thing? The Rambam, Rambam says, Karbonis. Ramban says, the urn, Teirem. But regardless, that's the focus from the point of view of the vision of it. You begin with, what's the purpose of it all? The tzal is the implementer. The implementer has to execute in an orderly and organized way. First you build the structure, then you bring the kela. In life too, the teda tells us the vision. But then when you execute it, it has to be also practical on the ground of to do it in the right stages, the right way. So you need to know the purpose, that's Moshe. And Betsal is the one that implements it in in an organized fashion. That's one explanation. From an inner perspective, why was gold-silver used in the Beis HaMikdash? If we know that Gashmis is like not Hashem, and this whole world is totally nullified, why did Hashem give importance to these items? It's not like it would make a difference to him, a precious metal or a piece of simple wood. As we know from the example that 1 to 10,000 are still in the same realm, but when it comes to infinitely distant, the 1 or the 10,000 don't make a difference at all. Another question in that same vein, what is the significance of the different types of materials we were commanded to use for constructing the Mishkin? If these materials are important to solidify a spiritual conduit for prayer and religious service, why aren't these same materials used in all our local synagogues? Okay. The answer, the first question is the whole basis of Chassidus, from God's point of view, everything is equal, but He wanted and Kasha. You can't answer why He wanted, but that's what He wanted: that in a world, in a material world that, is, that on its own is devoid of and doesn't feel anything divine, that should be transformed. So in Shleim has God, Hashemayim v'Hashemayim lo yichal kalucha. Shemay Shemaim heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Avki Aba'ayas Azad, this house can't contain you. And Hashem says, yes, read that in the positive. Bin That's uh, that's yes. I want this house, which is much more smaller than all the heaven and heaven of heavens. That's the place that I want the kavana. So at the same time that everything is nullified, but also in the Sava Hu, in that material world, to come to recognize how everything is nullified. And that's the role of the Mishkan. And, and why Dafka, these items? So, again, you can always ask that question. But the different Svarim talk about it why Kesav, of and gold, silver, and copper, and the other 13, 15 materials, each of them have a particular role. They represent the spectrum of material existence. And the goal is to take them and transform them. In broader sense, it's to transform all the world into a home for God. But the Mishkan is a microcosm of that. So where we can, we do use materials that are similar, or at least things that look similar, that we have an ark out in, out in, in, our base, in, our, in our shuls. But then there's also the prohibition not to do something that's too similar to of HaMikdash, which would explain why some things we do that are not exactly, and we make a shino, or we don't use that particular material. Because the Beis Hamidosh has its unique role. So the Migdash Ma'at, the mini-sanctuary of every shul, has elements that are very similar. Korbanus replaced by tefillah, by prayer, as the Gemara says. So the bottom line is, we are always living with a Mishkan. Now it's a Mishkan within within our hearts and souls. But then we extend it to our shuls, which are Migdash Ma'at. And the Rebbe says that we also make our homes into a Mishkan. And ultimately, all this will lead to the macrocosm of the Beis Hamidash Hashlishi. Okay, so more on Vayakub Kudei and and Nissan. See episodes 5960, 110, 155, especially 155, 204, 255, and 300. Okay. Okay, let's see. With this, we shall go over to the Sidis question, and then we shall do the essays. Here we go. The Chassidus question. Chassidist question. Why should I care about what's happening up there, meaning in the higher worlds? Why should I learn about Seyder Yishtal which is the name for the cosmic order of the entire structure of existence from the Tsim the concealment, the Kav, Ak, all the worlds, at Zbri, Yitzir, the ten spheres, everything we know about, so what is the purpose okay it's a good klutz kasha, an important one and the answer I believe I've spoken about more than once but briefly God doesn't need anything to create he can do whatever he wants call yachl but he wanted us to understand how he creates because he wanted us to be part of the experience and secondly he wanted us to be partners in it that through our Aveda we should retrace the steps if it was done in a way that didn't make any sense, it would all be on God's terms. Say that Ishtals is in a sense God creating the stepping stones, a ladder, both in the process of which the divine creates, that we can understand, stage by stage, level by level, and we can retrace and go mamatala and go upward step by step. Of course, God could have created that no one, no one's born as a, new, a newborn is not born as a newborn, that were created, like other machabah 20 years old. A mature adult, but Hashem wanted a process that we can relate to: process of education, of preparation, training. Then you become adult, and then you continue the growth. So the reason we learn Sefer Shdalsh is, is exactly that: how to climb. It's like they, a system, a built-in divine system of how to grow. As a matter of fact, I just began a series called "How to Become More Productive," "How to Be-, Be More Productive," using these four steps of Atzilus, Brit, Yetzirah, so every Wednesday night, I do that program. Go to meaningfullife.com for more information. So it's not just an interesting study; it's actually vital to be a, a to be an effective person, to actualize your potential, to fulfill your mission in life, to serve God. Is we must understand Sei Dershtasos, not just to understand how God did it, which is also as the Altar Rebbe says, that it's that the learning Dershtas is a mitzvah Rama v'nizgavah me'ed. It's a great mitzvah to know God's way of creation. But also gives us the tools of how to do it. It's like, why do you learn to know how to do mitzvahs? How do you transform your life? How do you spiritualize the material world? It's through Seder Ishtashlis. And in the specifics, the different worlds, the different Svitas, how you take your chesed and turn it to a chesed that's aligned with God's chesed kindness, your gvura and discipline and strength to God's discipline, Teferis, your compassion, Mahu Khan and Khan, just as he is compassionate, Mahu Racham, Racham, so too should you be compassionate? That's the brief answer to that question. Now, yeah. as this has been the sixth year of the annual My Life Exodus Applied essay and this year creative track contest. So, what we've been doing is going over. The essay's in order as they were marked. All excellent essays continue to be. We are up to 17th place. So the four tracks, starting with the essay in English, A Journey from Fear and Suffering to Control and Serenity. Countess Rivka al 868, Bell Harbor, Florida. Okay, excellent essay, I should say, about OCD. OCD has become a word, a description, a diagnosis, if you wish that captures the idea of obsessive-compulsive disorder. So in this essay, she, what, the, what uh, the countess does, she takes OCD as it's understood in the clinical sense, in the, in the medical sense of the word, obviously with a disclaimer that's not to replace any of those interventions, and then brings in Chassidus, how Chassidus lends perspective. An excellent essay I re- highly recommend. It's an issue that many people are struggling with. An essay that I believe can help many people. The next is the essay in Hebrew for men, Shtuz de Gedusha. That's like holy insanity or a whole super rational holiness. Levi Bar, student in Kfar Chabad, Israel. So that takes Shtuz de Gedusha, of course, where it's all become very popular and familiar in Bosiligani, Tovshin, Yud, Friedrich Rebbe's last Maimer published, Yud Shvat, the Rebbe with Chazad, this Maimer every year and how that can be implemented in our lives, this super rational part of, uh, of our souls. The essay in Hebrew, women, Eden ha-corona, boy same Habidud," The age of corona, let us leave this uh, quarantine, this isolation. Mushka Malka Dekel, student, based on seminary, Tzvah Israel. A wonderful essay, written right at the beginning of COVID, of how we can take Teodak's teach us how to deal with isolation. It talks about loneliness, physical isolation, or quarantine, emotional quarantine, and how we can always take a situation and turn it into something that is positive. Very timely, continues to be timely. And finally, the creative track, to fill it to the heavens, painting, a painting by Tani Cohen, age 15, student, Torah Academy, Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, with an explanation of the idea of uh, looking at the cosmos, Seidrish Toshlis, and all its levels, and seeing how the human prayer, davening below, can pierce and reach the highest states, captured in a painting. Now, where can you see these uh, essays? The the English essay and the creative you can see at chasidasupply.com, it's posted there. Check it out. And the Hebrew essays, both the men and women, you can see at diraleh.org. D-I-R-A-L-O org. And with that, we conclude My Life is Supplied, episode 247. It's 347. I'm sorry, episode 347. Every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Been an honor. May we have a continuing joyous conclusion of other jumping into the gu'ul of Nissan. Ben Nisan nigalu. Ben Nisen benisen nigulu, benisen Asidin in Nisan we were redeemed and in Nisim we will be redeemed. May it be immediately. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com donate.